Don't miss out on the latest news and events in your community. Visit StarLocalMedia.com today. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed on all the latest stories affecting your neighborhood. And if you're a local business owner, let us help you reach your target audience with our effective advertising solutions. Visit StarLocalMedia.com and take the first step towards staying connected to your community. Welcome to another episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Welch, being joined by Devin Hassan and David Woolman. It is a Monday afternoon, just uh, just shy of two o'clock. And gentlemen, we are here to talk about some of the uh, some of the happenings from Week Five in high school football um, for our five uh, A and six A high schools. Um, you know, this is one of the weeks where, I mean, first off, just about everybody in our um, in our coverage area began district play if they hadn't already. They're underway now, and with this week, um, I'd say with the exception of weeks where as you get kind of later in the season and you have weeks where you, you have like a, you know, the de facto district championship game or the, the playoff eliminator outside of weeks like that. It's a week like this past one where it felt like there was a lot that went against the grain. These are the ones I love to talk about the most, man. I'm not going to lie. I've been waiting to, start talking about this stuff since Thursday night <laughs> what happened in that Plano West Louisville game. It just feels like, I don't know, I just, I, I really love those weeks when it just feels like you've got an idea as to what to expect. And then you see teams like you saw a game like that Friday, Devin mm-hmm. with Horn and North Mesquite, just games that go out there, and just completely turn upside down as far as what you, uh, what you had anticipated. And it felt like there was quite a bit of that last week. So I'm actually, I'm anxious to know what it all means kind of going forward is again, now everyone's kind of on the, uh, the same wavelength. They're all playing the same level of competition in their respective districts. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, let's kind of center this episode around some of those teams that really turned some heads with some games that uh, and some wins that I just don't think uh, we necessarily saw coming. And we can, I mean, we can talk right there with uh, with your game Friday, Devin, with uh, North Mesquite getting it done against uh, against Mesquite Horn and one that uh, you know it's been a uh, what was it? I was just checking back. What since 2015 is the last time that North beat Horn? So not necessarily the the biggest drought, I guess. If you wanted to go one step further, I guess it's the second time that North has beat the Horn Jaguars since 2009. Um, but nevertheless, it's been a very, very lopsided rivalry in favor of the Jaguars over the years. But um, just kind of, yeah, reflect back on your game on Friday and just what um, what happened with North Mesquite that enabled them to uh, to pull off, with certainly, I guess, up to this point, the signature win under Tim Cedar. Well, yeah, you know, North Mesquite, uh, this is the third time I've seen North Mesquite play yeah. this season. Um, and it, it's one of those, even when they won their opener over Trimble Tech, you know, it's just their offense, the consistent offense was, was lacking at times. Um the defense was was solid, but you know, could they hold a, a high powered offense that Horn, you know, kind of is a big play offense, which Horn showed against in their win against Tyler. Yeah. Um, you know, North Mesquite got the opening possession, and it, I mean, they drove they drove the field, uh, eight plays, never faced a third down, looked good. But you think, okay, the opening possession is somewhat scripted. You kind of come out with an idea what you're going to do, mm-hmm. how is this going to, you know, how they're going to be able to do this as, as uh, the game goes on. Um, at North Mesquite's credit, uh, you know they. They were able to run play. They were able to sustain drives, even when they didn't score, um, and which they didn't for the rest of the half. Their second uh, half, uh, Greg Sherfield picks off a pass and returns it 48 yards wow. uh, for a touchdown to give them a 14 nothing lead. 14 nothing is the the zero is the operative thing because at the same time their defense was doing the job on Horn. Horn is a big play offense. They had uh, six touchdowns, uh, seven touchdowns, six touchdowns against Tyler. All of them were 25 yards or longer. Wow, and. Um, 
You know, you could see it early on. Horn wanted to go deep. Darius White, their quarterback, making like his second start. Great arm. Great arm. Uh, they wanted to go deep, but North Mesquite's secondary was, was, was ready for it. Um, but, again, you kind of saw the athletes that Horn has at the receiver position. They made some incredible catches. Uh, they finally hook up. Xavier Brown catches a 41-yard touchdown mm-hmm. pass uh, late in the first half. And you think, okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, here it comes. They, they draw to within 14-7. Stays that way through halftime. First two minutes of the second half, he goes to Chris Dawn. Darius White lays it out there, 61 yards. I mean, beautiful pass. Now it's 14-14. Here it comes. Here it comes. And, again, to North Mississippi's credit, they stay they, they, they you know, stay poised, uh, had a 17-play drive, just marched down the field, very methodical. They know they're not a big play. They don't have a lot of big play threats. Um, you know, Liam Thornton, their quarterback, uh, is a, he's a tough kid. He, he makes nice passes, uh, you know, when he's, when he's called upon. Hard-nosed runner. Um, but you know they they had uh, in that in that drop they had a third and thirty four, and Liam Thornton drops back finds Marcus Yao. Marcus Yao I've seen for three years. Mm-hmm. I've never seen him drop a ball. You get it anywhere <laughs> near him, he's going to catch it. Really? Uh, and that goes for forty yards. Uh, three plays later, um, Liam Thornton's able to bowl in from a yard out uh, to regain the lead and regain control of the game. And it was just again their defense did the job down the stretch. You knew they they. We're able to get another turnover, turn into a field goal. They're up 23-14. You know Horn's going to make a run. They did get to within two. Uh, but the defense, the North Mesquite defense, I mean, I say defense, they did the job on both sides. The officer was able to, was able to keep the ball enough, make, take advantage of, of the scoring chances when they had them. And the defense, like I say, it was very impressive. They, they allowed the two big plays uh, in, through the passing game. But this is a Horn offense that's capable of doing that almost every play. For, so for them to only allow two and a hold Horn at 21 points, you know, you mentioned it, like say, with, uh, since Tim Cedar took over three years ago, this is this is their big win during yeah. that time, and now all of a sudden you, you start looking at that playoff picture with you know you, we've always kind of said Rockwall and Rockwall Heath mm-hmm. are up there. I still think Tyler Legacy is the third best team right now, um, but Skyline beats Mesquite. North Mesquite all of a sudden has that win over Horn. If they're <laughs> able, to, if they're able to, to knock off another, you know, win, especially say they beat Skyline. Yeah, I mean North Mesquite is in the conversation now for the playoffs, and we wouldn't have said. Would you that. imagine that three, all the way we back in August? Yeah. Couple, we wouldn't have said it last week, yeah. let alone three weeks ago. So yeah, yeah, kudos to Coach Cedar and that coaching staff, and like say uh, Liam Thornton and that uh, and that entire North Mesquite team. You talk about just, you know, North getting its signature win under uh, under Tim Cedar. And, you know, David, we can talk a little bit about 6-6-A now as they had their uh, their first week last week. And, you know, uh, I got to see on Thursday what was, I guess, up to this point for Plano West, their biggest win under head coach Tyler Sukup. I know it didn't necessarily have just the uh, the drama that encompassed that wild comeback that they had to to, uh, <laughs> to beat Plano East last year and snap their uh, their 34-game losing streak. But this was, um, I mean, this was not a, not a win that I believe anybody outside the program necessarily saw coming. Louisville had entered this game, you know, with a two and run record. Their offense had scored at least th- at least forty eight points in every game that they had played, and even in defeat, you know, against a high power team like Rockwell Heath, you could still see the the capabilities of this offense and just how I mean, when you factor in just the collective with the the experience they have at quarterback, receiver, and then just this the the breakout year for for Damian Martinez as far as becoming a uh, an elite running back in the uh, in the area. That I mean, this Louisville offense has certainly set the bar as far as maybe being the best in um, in District 66A and Plano West held them to 17 points and it was 
very, very impressive how they got this done. So Plano West beats Louisville 27-17. to 17. Um, Again, hands down the biggest one that they've had under uh, under Tyler Sukup. Hand down, hands down the biggest one that program has had maybe since Soso Jamaba was on campus. <laughs> um, I mean, it's been, it's been a hot minute since West picked up a, a win of this caliber. But... Um, you know, you you look at just how it started for them, and it kind of had the feelings of like West. You could you could see right out of the gates that West was like, okay, we're just going to control the clock every chance we get. I mean, they they started trying to work the clock pretty much from their opening drive, and that's yeah, I mean, you have to against a team like Louisville just to limit their possessions. Um, you know, but then they uh, you know the, I believe it was a, a costly penalty that stalled out. What looked like a pretty promising drive because you could see early on they were moving the ball and them on the ground. Taper and Yates was getting to that second and third level um, already out of the shoot, and they were they were having some. Succession, you could see at least a blueprint early on, like, okay, they might be able to make this game competitive. Then Louisville gets the ball back, though, and then they just march right down <laughs> on them. Martinez, 30 yards on his first carry. They, they're, they're in, uh, in Plano West territory in like two plays, and Taylor Green then finds Isaiah Stevens on a, uh, he gets behind the secondary, uh, a beautiful uh, catch that was a little a little high, but he had to make an adjustment in midair. Just a very acrobatic gab, grab by, uh, by Stevens that he's able to then take into the end zone for a touchdown. And you're just thinking, okay, it's just going pretty much how most would have expected so far. And fair play to the Plano West defense because they um, they adjusted some stuff in the secondary, um, and they really kind of took away the uh, the long game for Louisville. And the Farmers didn't really come up with a uh, with a counter. I mean, Martinez was great. He had 193 yards in this game, so they didn't do they did not shut him down by any stretch. Um, but, you know, for Louisville, they were held, you know, I think they got a little over 400 yards, which you know, is really good for most programs, but it's, you know, it's at least under what they had been performing as. And it just felt like that passing game just never really got on uh, got on track after that opening drive. And a lot of it was again West taking away some stuff deep. They forced Green out of the pocket, and he was you know kind of holding on to the ball, just couldn't necessarily. His first read was rarely there. His second read was rarely there. West did a really good job of just short circuiting in that pass game. And then as time goes on, you know you see Plano West start to kind of take control of this one. The passing game for West was I um, mean again they didn't you know they didn't light it up for 300 yards or anything, but it was timely. You know. They made the, they converted third and long when they had to. It wasn't um, just this, this death knell for a team that's necessarily a run-first offense. And they were actually able to take control of this game for good in the fourth quarter with 14 unanswered points behind the uh, the efforts of two sophomores. And it's the, the fact that they won this game in the second half is all the more impressive because Tabor Yates, who's kind of been the uh, the centerpiece of their offense, he got hurt late in the first half, and he didn't play at all in the second half. It was a quad injury that he suffered. Um, so right there, you're just thinking like, oh, boy, this is... And you could even see in the third quarter that West, you know, their offense really started to sputter a bit, and you're just kind of waiting for that moment when Louisville is able to kind of just put the uh, boot to the throat and really pull away on this thing. But it never came. And then in the fourth quarter, it was um, some really strong running from their sophomore backup running back, Dermot White, who, you know, the coaches have been trying to find ways to get him more involved. He, I don't believe he either didn't have a touch or didn't have a catch. He wasn't used much those first couple weeks. You saw him a little bit in their uh, in their Little Elm game, the other uh, non-district finale. But he was front and center in the second half against Louisville. He had a uh, a, a 21-yard touchdown late, 21-yard touchdown uh, run late that put them ahead um, by, uh, I believe it was, what, 20 to 17, something to that tune. And then um, there there was a little bit of controversy on the ensuing drive for Louisville. So they're getting near midfield and I believe they were in a, in fourth and three. And then green tries a, um, you know, a short pass to, um, 
one of their uh, their backup running backs. And I've put the video on uh, on Twitter. I don't know if you guys had a chance to see it. It's I mean, it looked like about as clear cut a first down pickup as it gets. I mean, he was tackled right at the uh, at the uh, at the first down marker, but it was spotted a yard short. And, it was a first down. Huh? You it saw it? Okay. Yeah, see what I'm talking about? Okay. Yeah, I want to make sure because yeah, I mean, it was it looked quite obvious. I already already put down on my notes and just moved on to the next play. Okay, first and ten from the 48 or wherever it was, and then I see the uh, then the you know the other uh, the, I believe it was the morning news stringer. He mentions like, oh wait, no, they marked him short, and I look up and then you see where the ball's at, and like I went back on my phone and I checked the highlight again. And, like, there's no way that's <laughs> that's. I mean, he was marked at least a full, like a full a full yard short of the uh, of the first down, and it was right next to the Louisville sideline. Naturally, they did not take too well to that, and they freaked out, and it was a turnover on downs. Then they got tagged for a personal foul for you know for the uh, the sideline. Um, uh, Anger and outrage over the uh, over the poor spot, and then um, then Plano West is able to then take advantage of that. They actually so they got backed into a fourth and thirteen. So a little bit of a decision as far as okay, do you do you punt the ball? Do you try to go for it? Because I don't believe they were. I don't think they were close enough to uh, to attempt a field goal. They were. Um, let's see, it was they were thirty three yards out. So it would have been a fifty yard try, which at the high school level, I mean, that's just that's not a not a high probability outcome. So they um, you know Coach Sukup decided. Well, I mean, essentially, if we punt the ball, we're really only going to surrender maybe 15 to 20 yards so they lined up to go for it and they actually sent out their backup quarterback another sophomore Vance Fauerbacher and Fauerbacher he rolls right a little bit off the snap and then somehow some way there's a lane that opens that opens on the uh, on the backside and he just cuts back and then goes untouched into the end zone for a 33 yard touchdown just a, a, a wild heads up play that was not the design that uh, you know the coach Zucup had in mind but certainly one that worked out very well in West favor and yeah somehow some way this plan West team that you weren't really sure what to make of, you know, when they beat Wiley and North Mesquite, two programs that are either a Wiley team that's kind of in transition, a North Mesquite team that was still kind of finding its way um, in those first couple weeks, and then they uh, they laid a bit of an egg against Little Elm, only scored nine points there, so there wasn't really a ton within those first three weeks that said, like, oh yeah, you're going to go out and shut down Louisville <laughs> and all that D1 talent, and hey, credit to Plano West, man, because this sent a bit of a shockwave through District 66A and just one heck of a way to, to start off the district schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just, I mean, David, you look elsewhere in the district and like that Capel game against Plano, which I don't know what, uh, what to make of that one as far as it was a really, really competitive game for a half. Capel just goes nuts in the third quarter. Plano, Plano goes nuts in the fourth quarter, and you ultimately end in a 35-33 game in favor of the Cowboys. It sounds like just based on your uh, Star Local Media alumni, Tim Glaze was, uh, was stringing that game, and it sounds like a fairly sloppy game just on the whole. Um, but nevertheless, though, David, what do you kind of make of this if you're uh, at least from Capel's standpoint? Um, you need a little bit more consistency. Yeah. I mean, if if you have a 20-point third quarter and you're up by that much, like I think it was 35 to 13, you should be able to kind of, you know, put the nail in the coffin, you know, just run out the clock. But it seems like they had like some problems, you know, just protecting um, the ball, protecting the ball. They had like a block punt and uh, they had some interceptions and then some receivers dropped, the, dropped some passes mm-hmm. and. Plano scoring twenty points in the fourth quarter. So I mean, it's it. They've had some a couple of games like this. Um, uh, the Highland Park game, like they started, it was a very bad first half against Highland Park, and mm-hmm. they were down big, and they almost came back to beat Highland Park in the second half. Like you know that big comeback. They like they had a all they had to do is stop a fourth down and they get a, maybe get a chance to win the game. But then mm-hmm. Highland Park converts that fourth down. So this is a team that's, you know, you know, it plays well at Spurs and then sometimes like it doesn't. So, you know, they, they, if they can just get some consistency, they can be a dangerous team. Yeah, Capella had five turnovers in this game, four being interceptions. And he, he didn't have any interceptions coming into this game. Wow, really? That's yeah. 
that's weird. That makes it all the more strange. Yeah, I mean, Plano was, you know, looking dead to rights for a while, and then I believe it was Tylen Hines who scores three touchdowns in like a four-minute span, just something wild like that. So, again, with this Plano team, man, it's just kind of been, you know, you mentioned just consistency, and with Plano, it's, you know, I'm sure if you take the entire picture and just look at it just like the raw numbers, it's like, it looks fine, but it's just the the, the lack of just quarter-to-quarter consistency that you've seen with this team. They've, Plano's a good fourth-quarter team. They've, yeah, I mean, yeah, and you, at least you, you take some pause in that if you're coach Ford right now and like okay this team's not going to give up they're going to fight until the finish so you at least that's at least some quality that's certainly you know central to a team that you know envisions itself being a uh, you know getting back to being a playoff contender and whatnot but as of right now though through three games they have live losses to McKinney by one point and Capel by two points now they got drubbed by Lake Highlands they weren't able to make any sort of comeback there but they have two losses on their on their uh, on their record that were two points or less but they've trailed in all three games by at least 21 points at some point so it's I mean yeah that's just not a you can't walk that tightrope so many times you can only walk that uh, tightrope so many times in a district that's this talented so yeah I guess kind of like you said David it's just you have to find a way to again it might all balance out in the end but just quarter to quarter you have to be able to find ways to be a little bit more consistent on both sides of the ball because yeah I mean it looked like they kind of figured out the first half thing you know there was only a 14-13 game at the half and then Capel just comes out guns blazing and Plano just didn't really have much of a recourse until it was you know, it was unfortunately just too little too late. Um, so, yes, Plano is, uh, you know, they're 0-3 on the season. 0-1 in district still searching for their first win under uh, new head coach Todd Ford. Um, Marcus is Marcus. That was pretty much the only thing that kind of held to form, I think, in this district, and that Marcus looks like the absolute juggernaut defending district champion that uh, you know, I think we kind of envision them as heading into this uh, into this season. They had their most lopsided win in the history of the Mound Showdown, 55-14 to over rival Flower Mound. Um, this one got out of hand early. Garrett Nussmeyer was on fire. He had four touchdown passes. J. Michael Sturdivant, Tyler Schott were among his uh, his top targets there. They got a couple defensive touchdowns, one from Mark Vassar, another from Christian Espinoza. Um, just a, a hell of a statement by Marcus, a team that didn't look any worse for the wear as they prepared to defend their district championship. You know, last year, again, this is a, a Marcus team that was able to survive a number of close calls in district last season. I think every game that they played against one of the other Louisville ISD schools in Capel was decided by like maybe 10 points or less or something like that. It wasn't a very convincing run that they had, but um, this was, yeah, this was thorough because Flower Mount's a team that their defense, even though the offense has been trying to find its way, the defense had at least been really, really steady those first few weeks. And yeah, they got just lit up by uh, by that Marcus air attack. Um, so yeah, Marcus looking the part early on. Um, I was on Friday. I got to see Hebron and Plano East. This one was, again, Hebron still working with a bit of a shorthanded deck. It does feel like they're getting a little bit healthier. It sounds like quarterback Weston Conaway is going to be back in the full pretty uh, fairly soon, but they're uh, they're 2-1, and one, and Jacob Unif has done a great job just spearheading this uh, this little short, quick-range passing attack. They did a really good job getting their uh, their wideouts in space against Plano East, and you saw you know Dakota Bridges, Jedi Henry. I mean, they just, they had their way with Plano East as far as yards after the catch goes. Um, you know, they got big nights from their, uh, their running backs. Jalen Wilson had three touchdowns. Brandon Love averaged six, seven, eight yards a carry, and um, there just wasn't a whole lot of a uh, recourse as far as Plano East defense goes. Um, East was like... Plano East getting to see them firsthand. I know I kind of proclaimed them as like the best team in Plano ISD last week, and there's certainly talent there. Not to you know, not to you know, be drawn off the. Uh 
off the tracks too far. I mean, that running back of theirs, Ismail Mahdi, is he is legit, and that's they have an they have a bona fide Division One caliber talent there. Um, as he, uh, I believe, I think every game this season he's led them in both rushing and receiving. I mean, he's basically a walking just 250 yards of total offense at least <laughs> most nights. And um, now he was he was spectacular. They just just one too many self inflicted mistakes with just an untimely penalty. They had two gaffes on special teams, including I believe a uh, you know a blocked punt, and then they uh, they failed to field a kickoff. Um, so just the kinds of mistakes that you're just unfortunately you're not going to be afforded in a district this caliber. You know, just there really isn't a uh, isn't a soft spot on that schedule where you can look at like you know okay well we can maybe get away with this you know, the stuff against you know a team or two here and there because that just that just isn't what Lewis ISD and Capel are going to afford you. So um, yeah, Plano East like despite those miscues they were still in this game at the half. It was only eighteen to fourteen, but um, yeah, I mean defensively as the game went on at least they had a really really tough time slowing down Hebron's wide receiver. And, and yeah, just again, one too many untimely penalties. I want to say there were at least like two or three big plays that got wiped out on a holding call or whatnot. So just stuff that you got to clean up, you know, as far as, you know, Joe McCullough kind of intimated that at least heading into their bye week, you know, he really did like what they had, um, you know, shown as far as potential goes. But he did mention, you know, even before that Hebron game, just we're kind of beating ourselves in a lot of areas. And unfortunately for the Panthers, you kind of saw that in some capacities on a, on Friday. Um, so, yeah, that's just kind of a look at where things are at as far as District 66A goes. Again, I mean, Marcus looks like the one seed, and then after that, just who knows. It's, we have a long ways to go in figuring this out. Um, let's see. As far as um, some stuff over in District 75A Division One, um, Devin, um, I mean, I think one of, the, uh, one of the bigger takeaways was what McKinney North showed as far as <laughs> uh, you know, a program that was still searching for its first win. And you, know, you look at all the talent that they lost on offense to graduation, and then they lost their offense of coordinator um, from last season. So they had been trying to find their way and they, the offense didn't necessarily get on track, you know, overall against Tyler, but they got enough in the other two phases um, to, uh, to kind of uh, complement that. And they were able to, uh, you know, score a fairly surprising uh, victory over, uh, over Tyler in this game. Um, you know, I know Tyler's results have been a little up and down, but um, you know, but you, if you look at what this uh, McKinney North team was able to do, I mean, early on at least, because uh, I felt like this was a game that early on was being dominated by Tyler, at least if you look across the play-by-play and the way things have been trending. I mean, heck, Tyler still outgained them by t- over 200 yards, <laughs> and they wind up losing 34-24, to but North gets a 94-yard kickoff return from J.J. Henry. They get a 41-yard pick six from Marquise Alexander. So it's, I mean, if you get two non-offensive touchdowns, I mean, I'd say your odds of winning yeah. increase exponentially, but, um, you know, they were able to get just enough from Gavin Constantine. Jaden Smith, the running back, had a big game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, North scoring a, a fairly, at least when you look at the way that it materialized, a fairly improbable 34-24 victory. I don't know how repeatable that formula is, given the uh, you know just given the uh, the chasm and overall yardage surrendered and whatnot. But just in the overall landscape of seven five a Division one, I, I know we know with Highland Park and Longview are one A and one B in whatever order. But um, as far as what this does, and then you know whether or not West Mesquite can factor into this equation, just what's your read right now on seven five a Division one? Well, you know we, we said last week that outside of Longview and Highland Park, the other five teams were combined two and fourteen yeah. going into last week. Um, and so it was going to come down to who was able to be, win those head-to-head matchups. So this was a huge win for McKinney North. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, West Mesquite, uh, it's <laughs> – I, I think 
I have to double check. I believe they turned the ball over on four consecutive offensive plays last yeah. week against Longview. That's not good. So, yeah, yeah. So you're not and you're not going to beat Long. It's hard enough to beat Longview yeah. if you're you know if, if you're playing your A game, let alone turn the ball over like that. Um, West Mesquite was able to, to to score a few points. You know, again, given the the, the score of the game at the time, it's kind of hard to say mm-hmm. uh, if that was against uh, Longview's A A squad. Um, but I think in either of the, any of these five teams, Wiley East, Sherman, Tyler, McKinney North, it's, it's again, it's going to come down to head-to-head matchups. So yeah. every game is big. And so for McKinney North, especially coming out in their district opener with a lot of new players, trying to kind of forge a new identity after last season's incredible offense and numbers and whatnot. But, um, you know, try to build confidence. I, I think that's it's a huge it's a huge game, and it's one of those – we've talked about it the last couple of weeks with, with other districts starting up. Even though it's the first week of district, some of these games we're going to look back on mm-hmm. a month from now and say – Remember back in week one when oh, yeah. this team won by ten? They kicked, a, they scored a late touchdown to make a three point game, a ten point win. Well, that's the tiebreaker, and it goes into all this stuff, uh, or just make, uh, simply a head to head thing. So, I mean, I think this is huge for McKinney North, and I think they I, it positions them to to be the, the fourth playoff team at this district. Over in five five A Division one with Frisco ISD. <laughs> um, I mean, you talk about games that could potentially pay massive dividends down the road, and I mean, again, much like seven five A Division one, we know who the top two teams in that district are in some order it's either ryan or lone star we thought the three seed coming into the season was independence um up until that, last week that might not be the case anymore yeah it's i mean three four five six i mean it seems like it's all up for grabs after those top uh, those top two and five five a division one um you know david you got to see the colony um against uh, it was frisco centennial that they beat last That's week right. yeah. so yeah the colony at least keeping its playoff chances afloat um they were able to bounce back from what was a very very tough uh tough loss to um you know to wakeland you imagine they're kind of on that because it feels like now some combination of reedy independence wakeland maybe the colony can try to wedge their way into that into that mix there they'll have to obviously fare a little bit better than they did against wakeland but um quickly what was um just what you see in the colony as they were able to get a bounce back win the thing that impresses me about the colony is just the way they handle adversity mm-hmm. um you're 13 to, you're uh, i think it was 13 to 3 against wakeland and then you're just kind of looking to you know continue the running game you know just not turn the ball over and then they had those turnovers they had the five turnovers and then four of them went for scores so mm-hmm. you, you know this is a colony team that that has 17 new starters so you're figuring like okay how is this how are we going to bounce back from this how are we going to handle this adversity right there um this past Friday, they had more adversity. They had four turnovers in the first half, but mm. yeah, not not a good recipe for success. But they found they found a way to get through the, through this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually held out of those four turnovers. Centennial only got ten points out of them, and it, it, at one point it got to seventeen to seven uh, Centennial, and uh, they had a pick six. Gabriel Price he returned a sixty yard uh, pass for a touchdown, and that was like you know that that was like with less than two minutes in the half. So going to the half, he's like, okay, you know, Centennial is going to have some good momentum going into the half. You know, like I think. I think that I can't remember if they got the ball to start the second half, but to go up, but like have that kind of momentum going at halftime, that's huge right there. Mm-hmm. But, um, but like as soon as that was over with, you know, the colony, they just regrouped. And instead of like, you know, just trying to like, you know, run out the final seconds of the clock, they stay aggressive. So, uh, I think a couple of plays in, uh, Camden Wesley, their stud sophomore running back, he goes 56 yards, takes it down to the five yard line. One play later, five yards into the end zone for a touchdown. Okay. So instead of 17 to seven, it's 17 to 14 right there. So they're in the second and then in the third quarter, you know, the, the defense was, uh, for the Frisco Centennial was on the field for a long time because whenever the, the colony 
gets the ball. They're, it's a very methodical process. You know, they have three running backs who can really get you with, like, you know, like, you know, the ground and pound game right there. Mm-hmm. And then finally the fourth quarter, they just run them, out of the, run them out of the yard right there, 28 points in the fourth quarter. Okay. So for the game, they finished with 333 rushing yards. And uh, 181 of those were by Camden Wesley right there. And he also had two scores. So um, this is a colony team, you know. You know they they they're three and two right now. They have the bye week coming up. So you know th- for a team that's this young and this experienced inexperienced, this is you know it's a, it's a good good statement one to kind of go into the bye week. You know feel confident about themselves, especially with uh, Ryan coming out of out of the bye week. Yeah. So give them two weeks to prepare for that. So you know. It's a team that if they don't turn the ball over, they can be competitive in a lot of games. Perhaps the uh, the most stunning result though within the district was Frisco Reedy thirty eight, Frisco Independence twenty one. Um, I mean, this was kind of a testament to the Reedy defense, Devin. As far as I mean, they held that Independence offense to just two hundred and sixty one yards, only twenty yards on the ground on twenty five attempts. I believe Braylon Braxton had just two rushing yards, which doesn't even seem possible. <laughs> um, I mean, the the real uh, you know, the, and that just tells you just how uh just the, the the work that reedy did up front just how they just kind of dominated the line of scrimmage in this one um i was just looking through the through the numbers uh reedy's brooks griffith really really shined in this one four sacks three forced fumbles that's some game-changing defense from brooks griffith as far as um being able to subdue what's you know at least on paper one of the most impressive offenses from a a skill position standpoint in the area um like i said it sounds like independence has had uh, you know some some struggles as far as uh, you know kind of doing some work up front and keeping Braylon Braxton upright and whatnot, but um, yeah, Reedy was Reedy's defense was all over was all over him. AJ Paget, Reedy's quarterback, he had a terrific game, maybe his best game of the season with 228 passing yards, 118 rushing yards, three touchdowns, just a a massive win for Reedy, especially when you look at just the overall landscape of that district. So Reedy's already had its game against Dent Ryan you know, scrap because of COVID reasons. And that was a no contest. So you don't have a loss on your record against the number one team in the state. Now that is massive as far as potentially looking forward, what it could mean for tiebreaker standpoints, as far as being able to make some headway in that district, when you basically didn't have to play the best team in your district. So, um, I mean, yeah, this, this, I mean, this recalibrates a lot for, for a Reedy team that could potentially maybe, maybe finish as high as third. If they're able to pull an upset Thursday against Lone Star, maybe second. I mean, it just, it does kind of, uh, you know, change a bit of a, a bit of the narrative for this Reedy team that you know you kind of you kind of had a sense going into the season just given the experience they had back that um, the defense was at least going to be really really solid but this was I think up to this point though one of their best defensive performances in some time I, I think they're firmly entrenched in third yeah right now in terms of in terms of projecting how the season's going to end I mean assuming you say Ryan and Lone Star are one two I mean you got the win over Independence. Uh, a lot of people caught ahead Independence as the third team, um, and then a lot of people it, we thought uh, you know Wakeland and Reedy would be battling out for mm-hmm. fourth. Um, but you know, given the way Reedy not just beat Independence last week, I mean, but but yeah, really well. see, to dominate that game, um, I think they're firmly entrenched in that yeah. third spot, and it's theirs to lose. Um, you know, so so it's like I say, I, I don't. I haven't seen independence in person. Mm-hmm. I just looking at their numbers. I'm just wondering when that offense is going to get going. You mentioned the offensive line and obviously the inability to run the ball is huge, but there's just too much talent on, on that. at the skill positions for them to be held down. And it's kind of a, and I can say a sleeping giant type situation, but if they don't wake up soon, they're, they're going to be on the outside oh, yeah. looking in, you can't you know, get too far behind the eight ball for sure. 
Because in the, um, you know in their case, I think in that game they had four players that logged rushes, and I believe their leading rusher had six yards. Yeah, I mean that's just that's you're just not going to win football games in a district that talented with that um, with that sort of output. Um, you know, so we've talked about some results that sort of went against conventional wisdom. Then we got our game of the week last week, <laughs> Saxy and Garland, and um, not this one pretty much went as uh, as uh, as was forecasted. Um, quite the statement by the Saxy Mustangs to uh, you know potentially reassert their dominance in uh, in. District 96A. Devin, you were on site for this one, so just talk a bit about the Mustangs after a, a, a fairly emphatic victory over the Garland Owls. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was necessarily expected. I think people thought, you know, Garland came in 3-0. and And there's just talking to people before the game, in Garland ISD, they, they, you, you, every school disagrees for every team. But, but they, they the, root a little bit more the, for the, the, the original. Old, the old school yeah. people, the people that have been involved with this district yeah. for, you know, their entire life, they... They root for everybody, but they prefer it to be the Owls. Kind of like the Plano ISD mentality. Yeah, you know, they, they the want, Wildcats, absolutely. Yeah, they, they want every team to be good in Plano, but they prefer it to be Plano High. <laughs> Plano Senior High, I should say. So there was kind of a thought, um, you know, before the game, people were like, well, I think it's going to be a pretty good game, but they're kind of, you know, but, but you know, Garland's got a little something. They do. They've been talking about this now a junior class since they were freshmen, mm-hmm. and they are talented, and they are good. Uh, but Saxy is, yeah. is I still. Mean, Garland might still fare fine just going forward. It's still Saxy. Yeah, this is still Saxy's district, at least for the time being. Saxy had a lot of newcomers this year, but they basically gave a veteran answer to an up-and-coming team like Garland is, trying to establish themselves as the team to beat in this district. Uh, and they just punched them in the mouth. I mean, they came out on the first play from scrimmage. Uh, Alex Orji rolls left. And Tyler Williams, there was no one within 20 yards of him. He's all alone really? down the field. Wow. So they go for 76 yards on the first play. I mean, within no time, they scored 21 points in their first quarter. Uh, Garland, you know, to their credit, tried to hang around. Uh, you know, Sergio Perez, their quarterback, had a, played a really tough game, got hurt on a couple of occasions, came back into the game. Uh, they, he scores early in the second quarter. They're within 21-13. But then Saxe just uh, almost just kind of says, okay, well, that was fun. I'm, we're going to take our game to the next level. What are you going to do? And um, before you know it, midway through their quarter, it's 49-13. Really? And the – Backups are in, and, and Garland made a couple. They scored the final score is forty nine to twenty seven. Garland scored a couple, uh, uh, one one in the last minute of, of the fourth quarter to, to kind of make the the final sound better than it was. But yeah, just Saxy was just really impressive on both sides of the ball. Uh, we talked about Alex Orjai before. You know, he goes sixteen to twenty five for two hundred sixty seven yards. A couple touchdowns. They nearly had three 100-yard rushers because uh, Orjai went 11 for 131. Uh, Corey Jones went 16 for 104 and three touchdowns. And uh, Brian Okoye went 12 for 94. But then he also had a 45-yard touchdown pack, uh, reception as well. So um, just so so much talent coming out of that backfield, so much talent on the outside. Uh, if people thought Saxe was going to dip, and we talked about it doing our kind of district previews, uh, the amount of transfers they had that went to other oh, programs, yeah. the amount of starters they lost from last year. I mean, they essentially returned three starters from last year's team. Is this the year that they're going to get tripped up? Is, is Wiley going to get them? Uh, that's not happening now. Uh, but uh, but no, I mean, is, is can Garland, you know, we, we didn't know, we still don't know a lot, a lot about Rowlett, although they were impressive mm-hmm. and they're finally, finally having their season debut yeah. last week. Uh, but, you know, a lot of speculation about is this 
the, the time where, where Saxe gets toppled from their perch. And if last Thursday is any indication, no, they, they've just got, they've got more talent than pretty much everybody out there. And they're still a team to beat. One of the closest out with a quick look at five, six, a, um, you know, I, well, at the same night that, uh, the plane of whistles authoring its upset win over Louisville, there was one, which I mean, might be even more of an upset, honestly, <laughs> considering what they had shown the first, uh, the first month of the season. Um, I did not see this one coming. Um, McKinney Boyd, 42, Denton Braswell, 12. Um, you know, McKinney Boyd, I'd seen them twice this season. I saw them in their opener against Flower Mound. They lost 10 to 7. I saw them in their non district finale against Byron Nelson. Went to overtime. They went 14 to 7. Yeah, 14 to 7. They had totaled 33 points in non district play. So naturally, 42 points is right in the cards for their district opener. Um, I is mean, that the most surprising number, though? Or the twelve, the more surprising number. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. at least you could at least frame that in the sense that okay, even though you know Boyd's offense had struggled to really find its footing the first month of the season, that defense was still legit. And Matteo Bianchi, their star linebacker, had has been one of the breakout defenders in the Metroplex. And you could at least see a pathway to where if they were able to at least you know control the ball a bit. And it does sound like the time of possession was something that really did work in their favor as far as limiting the chances that uh, that Braswell had. But I mean, their defense at least shown enough to where I thought okay, maybe. Braswell still scores a lot, but nowhere close to their normal output. I did not see 42 points coming from that offense. Um, but in, in hindsight, though, I think it's fair now kind of going forward to maybe kind of recalibrate expectations on what to make of this Boyd offense, because I think you essentially have to write off those first three weeks because the personnel's changed a lot since that, uh, since that, uh, that 38-0 shutout loss to Rockwell Heath. So... They've um you know they've had an injury at quarterback that's kind of sent a, a chain reaction of sorts in motion as far as you know kind of in some ways you know kind of contributing to what this offense has become. So Carter Whitefield is you know he's got a hand injury right now he's got a big old cast on his right hand um, and he's not able to throw a football but he can still catch and carry a football just fine so he's healthy enough to still keep playing. So they've been using him as a uh, as a running back and he was especially featured as a wide receiver. He had six catches for 162 <laughs> yards and three touchdowns against Brazil and he had a rushing touchdown as well so he's all of us because he's still again even despite being you know hindered as far as his abilities to throw right now he's still a spectacular athlete and that's one thing that um you know against um against Byron Nelson you didn't get to really see as much of it because I just don't think at the time they had really been able to kind of go back to the drawing board as much and figure out the different ways where they can still make use of you got to see him a little bit as a running back but you know the whole receiving aspect was fairly brand new but um I mean Coach McBride said afterwards I mean he's still a great athlete we need to find ways to get him more involved so you saw this against Braswell and then with the work that they've now got at uh, a quarterback from sophomore Ryan Shackle who even you know even though they only scored 14 points against Nelson, you could at least see some signs of okay, this looks like they might have a little something here as far as developing a, a bit of a steadier passing game than what they had shown um, earlier in the year. And he goes 15 of 19 for 248 yards and three touchdowns. Take that absolutely. <laughs> and now with Whitefield basically being reborn as just this this dynamic skill position threat. I mean, it really does change a lot for this Boyd offense compared to what you had seen earlier in the season. They were, um, you know, they made some changes to the backfield with, um, you know, a greater use of Peyton Shaw, who's one of their standout defensive backs. He was being, you know, featured a bit more alongside Jay Thompson and those two combined for more than 200 yards on the ground. Um, I mean, I know Braswell had given up its share of points as well. In addition to scoring a ton, <laughs> they had actually been heading into that 
game. They have actually been outscored on the season by five points. And now, granted, a lot of that was because they got you know handled a bit by Rockwall in their first game of the season. You know, but they uh, no one had really mustered any sort of response for that uh, for that offense so far. And there's a lot of D1 talent in that offense too. And credit to McKinney Boyd because that uh, the, I mean the defense had played well enough for them to have won a lot of these games early in the season. And now that the offense has shown more of a pulse, I mean I. Uh, yeah, you kind of have to recalibrate a lot as far as what to make of what this Boyd team could do because kind of like, you know, we've been talking about these district games that while they're taking place really early, you know that's a game that down the road is going to mean a lot for the playoff picture. Well, you know you know that Allen, Guy, or Prosper are kind of the, you know, one, two, and three in some order in that district. So it's those games against Braswell and McKinney and Little Elm that are going to loom large for Boyd. So, I mean, you've put yourself in a great spot now. You know, potentially it could all come down to that crosstown showdown game near the end of the season to determine who gets that uh, that last playoff spot, and again, it's still really early, so a lot can a lot can change. But um, what a what a response by Boyd after um, you know looking a little punchless on offense for the first month of the season. Um, David, we can round this out with a quick look at what happened on Saturday, a rare Saturday game. This one had to get rescheduled, but uh, Prosser was able to get a win over Little Elm in his district opener. I believe what thirty to twenty was the final. That's correct. Um, so you know, a game where Prosser still wins by double digits, but it sounds like Little Elm acquitted you know acquitted itself fairly well in their first yeah, it was hands down their biggest test of the season. Um, I mean, you were out there on site in Little Elm. What did you, what did you kind of take away from this one? Cameron Harpole's a stud. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a good point to start with. Yeah. I mean, whenever it seems like Reedy needed a big play, like whenever they're backed up to like a long yarded mm-hmm. situation, throw it to Harpole. Yeah. He's a big target. Big He's target. a big target going to San Diego state. Yeah. Uh, I, it was like a, like a uh, pretty close, like maybe like a two possession game there, like one 10 point game. And then all of a sudden he, he catches the ball like they're at the nineteen yard line of Little Elm. He catches the ball and he stiff arms at a guy. Yeah. Like that's how strong he is. Oh yeah. And absolutely. then he runs into the end zone. He's like this NFL Gronk or like you know, kind of tight end right there who's mm-hmm. so physical. Yeah. So like he gets like over like over hundred and sixty yards receiving in that game, got a touchdown too. Um in like it, it was a game that you could tell that uh, Prosper – this is our first game in 23 days. Yes. That, that is a long time. That, that probably had an impact too. I, yeah. Salina kind of went through the same thing where they didn't play for three weeks and then they lost to Aubrey. And then Coach yeah. Elliott afterwards said, like, yeah, in hindsight, like that three, having three weeks off was not a good thing for us. Smith said it was brutal. Yeah. He said it was, like, brutal on the coaches, the players. And, like, it showed, like, you know, they – they had like a lot of penalties in that game, like you know holdings. They had some personal fouls. Kind of got a little bit chippy at times, mm-hmm. you know, with the emotions of them playing for the first time in three weeks. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the the thing is, you know, they had like uh, they overcame that stuff. Uh, they got up seventeen to nothing in the game. Um, one of the drives, they they marched ninety nine yards after Little Elm had a great punt, and then they, one of their guys just fielded at the one yard line. Mm-hmm. So like that was a huge point in the game right there. Um, Jackson Berry, you know, he just engineers a ninety nine yard drive that just looks effortless, right? Right there, so they go up in that game, and uh, Little Elm had its chances, but um, they weren't able to finish some drives. Unfortunately, um, you know, it may be like a penalty or like a lost yardage, you know, situation because Prosper's, you know, front seven is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're they're going to get you for a lot of tackles for loss. So that, that like, you know, I, I remember when we t- projected like the top defenses in there. I kind of said that Prosper is going to have like one of those sneaky little defenses that could be one of the tops in the area. Mm-hmm. So I mean, with with their pressure and you know, them being able to hold like uh, to Little Elm to only one touchdown in the first half when Little Elm went to their territory like a few times. You know, that was a big statement right there. Um, so, you know, it seems like, you know, 
the, the Prosper, you know, they're going to check the rust off. You know, they only had three days to prepare for this game just on the COVID situation. So um, they didn't – and, like, you know, it would have been better if they would be able to play some of the couple of those preseason games because they, they, they would have played DeSoto and Arlington Lamar, yeah. which would have really kind of helped them out going into district. Absolutely. But, yeah, unfortunately they weren't able to play those games. So, I mean, this is a Prosper team that's going to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, like, you know, obviously they're going to be in the top three. It's going to see how they do – you know, starting this week, they got a big test against Denton Guy right there, yeah. who uh, was uh, they actually played Rodney Webb in the playoffs last year when he was at Rockwall. Mm-hmm. So it's going to yeah. be kind of like a little bit of a rematch in some sorts right there. Mm-hmm. So um, I, th- I think this is a team that's definitely going to get to the playoffs, avoiding some serious injuries. So um, watch out for Prosper. That's a yeah, yeah. Watch out for Prosper indeed. That's a, week six is a very tough act to follow right now. And I guess um, as we look ahead to um, to the game of the week slate later this week, you can go vote on our website startlocalmedia.com. Five very, very. Well, this is probably the best slate that we've had game of the week up to this point of the season. So that's a uh, yeah, yeah. We'll be back on Thursday to break down whatever is voted this game of the week and uh, and then some. So uh, yeah, until that, folks. They'll still um, wrap up this episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. We'll be back on Thursday. So until then, folks, you take care. We will talk to y'all later. Looking to hire top talent in your community? Look no further than StarLocalJobs.com. Our platform is specifically designed to connect local employers with qualified candidates in their area. With StarLocalJobs.com, you can easily post job listings tailored to your specific needs and requirements. Our platform is user-friendly and offers a wide range of options to help you find the perfect candidate for your open position. Plus, our job matching algorithm ensures that your listing is shown to the most relevant job seekers in your area. But that's not all, StarLocalJobs.com also offers a variety of resources to help you throughout the hiring process. From candidate screening to interview tips, our team of experts is dedicated to helping you find the right fit for your company. So why wait? Join the thousands of satisfied employers who have found their ideal candidate through StarLocalJobs.com. Post your job listing today and start building your dream team.